And I'm Katie Kane. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello. Welcome back to another spooky Halloween spectacular extravaganza party time VIP extraordinarily scary creepy TM. That's great. Thanks. That was a good one. (laughs) It's always fun to see where it goes. We run out of words, I think. And we have to add on every time. Of course. And it's never going to be the same. If it was, would this be true crime New England? That's what I'm saying. It would. And for those of you who are new, yes, the uh, theme music is different for Halloween. My boyfriend recently was like, whoa, you changed the theme music. And I said, wow, you clearly didn't go back and listen to any of our old episodes since we started dating because it's Halloween. This is what we do. It's our special episodes, TM. Right, exactly, TM. You know, like once you add a TM to it, you have to have a special kind of, like, new something. And that's exactly what we did. And yes, I did make that intro on GarageBand. Remember how we did it? We had it on GarageBand. Yes. And there were some, like, scary pre-done sounds on there. Mm-hmm. One, I vividly remember because I was scared. Like, when you left, I just kept thinking of that sound and I was yes. looking around like oh my god yes but we were like it needs something more yes it needs a scream yes and so we pulled up I think it was like a YouTube uh-huh. video just like a sample sound or yeah. something and we put, <laughs> I played it on my phone yep to record it and we like moved my phone back a little bit yeah. and forward it was yeah and we made it work and now it is a pivotal part of our intro music for Halloween. And I think it kind of ties it all together. I think we did a really great job DIYing that sound. Absolutely, TM. I think it was great. And it's loud and it's scary and spooky and wooky. And I think it goes great for our Halloween special episodes. And today is no exception. Today is a really good one, you guys, because as you can tell by the title, The Lad School. Mm. What could that mean? What says Halloween? Like a haunted, insane asylum. Literally nothing. Because it has everything. Ghosts. Potential murder. Neglect. I mean, the insane, quote-unquote, thing. You know, there's obviously a very deep, dark stigma around that. And a very dark history. Which already as we said in our title sequence, is spooky-wooky. So it's very fascinating. And I know for both of us, Katie, while we were researching this, we were in it deep. We were reading a lot of really crazy shit. Yeah, it's, you know, and you know when you think of a really old insane asylum, Mm quote-unquote, or what is now a mental hospital or a mental institution, Mm -hmm. the care in those settings back then was just unimaginably appalling and we we know that you know but hearing the details and we have some accounts that were investigated from specific patients that are just really hard to read and talk about and so i know a lot of people in their family histories might have actually had people you know in their life or in their family history that have gone to places like this yeah so if this is not an episode for you 
you know, don't worry about it. We'll see you next week. But for those of you that want to stick around, I highly recommend it because, of course, there's a lot of true crime aspect to this case. 100%. There's a disappearance and a mysterious death of a child that went missing from the school or ran away from the school. Um, there's a psychic horse. Which is literally, I don't even know how to follow up with that. So you have, <laughs> guys, if anything, you want to listen to that because... <laughs> How many psychic horror stories do you know? I My guess is zero. And if it's more than that, what the hell? Please email us because I want to know more. But seriously, you're absolutely right, Katie. Like, there, this story is full of crazy stuff that, you know, is probably part of people's history. Yeah. And I think we can all guess that everyone has mental health history in our family histories and probably family members, whether close or distant, that were in an institution, which, of course, as most of us know who attended high school, like, history class, there was a big movement for institutionalization, and then there was a huge movement for deinstitutionalization. So, clearly, it was something that they thought would be really, it started as an idea that was good, like, it was a really good movement, and then they were like, Oh, we're in our over our heads and la la la. So we talk a lot about that today and it's definitely mental health, mental illness heavy, but it's so fascinating. For sure. For sure. Big thank you to Jessalyn S who suggested this case to us via our Instagram DMs mm. and Rebecca T via email. Thank you both very much. Thank you, Jessalyn. Thank you, Rebecca. Huge thank you to Eliza P., who bought us three coffees. Eliza, thank you. And a big thank you to George S., who bought us two coffees several weeks ago, and then four more, and then last week he bought us two more. George! Thank you. Thank you, George. We appreciate you so much. George has very quickly become one of our biggest fans, and we've mentioned him quite frequently on the last several episodes because he's sent us, at this point, dozens of case recommendations and they are all solid they're very good so thank you george we appreciate you as always and we if we were ever to have a fan club you are right up there with potential for being the president so absolutely stick around but we really appreciate it and of course that is also extended to everyone else who listens period but sends us case suggestions buy us a coffee literally anything reaches out to us dms us we just love it we can't get enough so yeah we love you guys thank you very much appreciated and with that of course we'll get into these uh terrible stories all into this one institution that is not only spooky but wooky and halloween laced And without further ado, today we will be covering the, the Lad school. school. So, Katie, in your best true crime voice, I would love it if you could give me your sources today. Liz, I would be honored. Please. I have information from none other than Wiki Motherfuckingpedia. Great. TheLadSchool.com, which was a wealth of great information. Mm. Two Medium.com articles, one by Jason Carpenter and one by Dale Brumfield. HauntedAmerica.blogspot.com. 
USA Today Network, which is a newspaper article from the Providence Journal of 1977, Salt Story Archive, Kidnapping, Murder, and Mayhem.blogspot.com, which I love that name. Yeah, right? And finally, last but certainly not least, JulianneManjin.com. This is an amazing website by this woman, Julianne, who came across her mom's family records. Oh. And she found that five women in her family all went to state hospitals, mm. one of whom was at the Ladd School, and she started digging into their history. She's writing a book, or she already has written a book. Wow. Definitely check it out, you guys. Really interesting. All in New England. Wow. That's crazy. Huh. We'll have to look into that further because yeah. that's very fascinating. We had a lot of different sources. Oh, good. I love yes. what this happened. Yes. We had some similar ones, but different also. I, of course, also used the Lad School's website um, from the Lad School Historical Society, which, of course, when it has its own historical society, you know. I also used the Medium article by Jason Carpenter, which I really enjoyed. I used an article from USA Today. I also used an article from the Perspectives Corps, Dread Central, and... An article from Art in Ruins. Ooh, okay. Indeed, indeed. So, as we do with any more historical case, let's get into the history part of it all. Because this school, this center, it had a lot of names. And it spanned almost nine decades. Mm -hmm. So, it really had a long life. And the history just, it's complex. It's dirty at some parts and it's really kind of just shows how interesting and difficult institutionalization was at its peak yeah so in the year 1907 just yesterday the entire state of rhode island purchased a farm that spanned a total of 475 acres which is mm, the dream I would love to own that much land. That's fantastic. So the plan was to make a school, and they were going to name it, I shit you not, the Rhode Island School for the Feeble-Minded. Yes, that was definitely a term that was used back then, and for some reason, nobody was offended by it. If you were feeble-minded, you didn't know you were feeble-minded, and it just wasn't a big deal. It's rude. It's rude. Very rude. Great way to put it. In 1909, that vision came to fruition and the school with the insulting name was opened. There was a total of eight patients when the proverbial ceremonial ribbon was cut. And what would be nearly a century of abuse and neglect with deplorable conditions began. Dun dun. Insert Halloween music that I probably can't figure out how to do, but it'd be really cool if I could. The school was initially established with the idea that training young children and teenagers with disabilities to be successful in the workforce and trades would be a good idea. That sounds amazing. I think that's very practical. And I think that's so needed. You know, you're taking yeah. these kids that might not be able to go out and work a regular job or go out and do all of these different things. You're setting them up for success in life and you're teaching them life skills. 100%. That's so important. It was definitely a good idea at first. Good intentions. Yes. Yes. They started off with boys only, but started taking girls in 1913. And by 1915, there were over 100 patients. Which is a lot. That is a lot. Especially considering Rhode Island at that time probably had nine people living there. So that's a lot of people they gathered. Like other schools, quote unquote, with this model, the hidden idea was eugenics. 
the schools were designed to put all of these disabled and differently abled people and kids into one place and remove them from society because they were seen as less than and in one article, defective. Yeah. Dr. Joseph Ladd was the school's first superintendent. He was at first thought to be brave and smart and kind for taking on this role. And, you know, this role wasn't something that a lot of people were chomping at the bit to receive. Yeah. Just because it's a hard job. Absolutely. There's a lot of expectations and you're dealing with children's livelihoods. Like, that's really difficult. Of course. Dr. Ladd believed that people with developmental disabilities were set up for, quote, immoral behavior, and he used that to continue to justify keeping them away from the rest of society. In the year 1916, he changed the school's name to the Exeter School because he was getting some flack for the feeble-minded part, which, as he should. Right. Fair. On the brochure, it stated, quote, the object of the educational department is to receive, care for, and teach such mentally defective persons as are capable of being taught, but for who one reason or another cannot be trained to advantage in the public schools, or who are unable to adapt themselves to the environment in which they are found. Each child receives such manual and industrial training as he is capable of absorbing. The aim of all of this teaching and training is so to develop these children that they may be able to return to the community and become useful or at least inoffensive members of society. See, the way they say, like, return to society makes you think that they're prisoners that are receiving rehab and then returning to society and becoming, like, I don't know, productive citizens that can work at McDonald's and you know, not cause any trouble. Like, these people aren't causing trouble. They have intellectual disabilities. Right. They need more support and care that maybe their families could provide. Or maybe their families are thinking, you know, well, I'm not able to have my, I don't know how to work a plow. In the f- I don't know how to be a farmer. Like, right. it'd be really cool if my child could grow up and develop a skill set so that my child could succeed in life. I can't right. do that alone. I don't have the ability. I'm not a doctor. I don't have the sure. school. Like, let's send my child here in hopes that he can or she can become, you know, a well-rounded individual the best that they can. And not to mention, raising a child with an intellectual disability is very difficult. And not to mention how difficult it was back then, because mental illness, intellectual disability, physical disability was very, very, very misunderstood. And so, these parents were probably exhausted and confused and very excited that there was this institution that was going to take care of their kids and give them a great life. Yeah. So it's like how disappointing that behind the scenes, the real goal was to basically imprison these children, essentially, and these young adults with the idea of training them, quote unquote, but really what they were doing was preventing them from living the full potential that they absolutely had. Yeah. Just because they were nonverbal or just because they needed like a really strict routine, you can absolutely live a very wonderful full life with severe autism. You know, you just, it just, ugh. Nah. To really paint a picture of just how evil this Dr. Ladd dude was, the following is a famous quote from him where he stated, Many states have already passed sterilization laws for eugenic purposes, and I hope Rhode Island won't stay behind much longer. Unless something is done to stop the propagation of the mentally deficient, we cannot expect the coming generations to be predominantly viral and sound in mind and body. 
In that case, a general deterioration of intelligence and the pre-predominance of inferior stock is inevitable, especially since the trend all along has been for smaller families in the higher grades of the population. Modern society circumvents nature's laws of the survival of the fittest, but we mustn't go too far in allowing not only the survival, but also the multiplication of the unfit. I'm sorry, inferior stock? Are they, or is he talking about chickens? That's terrible. That is some Hitler shit right one there. One billion percent. Eugenics. Get them all in one place. Seeing a certain group of people as less than, deficient, yeah. not meant to be reproducing no. because they're going to create further unfit and mentally deficient individuals. Like, he's saying that these people should not be having children or reproducing because they're genetically inferior and they need to be locked away. And he hopes that Rhode Island will pass a law to sterilize all of them because that's what he wants to do at that school. And let's be clear here. This was before World War II. This was in, like, 1920. This was before Hitler had taken over Germany. So it's not like he was spreading this word so popularly so open so this and obviously eugenics has been a thing like that was not a new concept but it wasn't as widely mm-hmm. expressed especially not in the united states and that's open he's literally telling people i wish rhode island would make it so i could sterilize these people yeah. what the fuck mm-hmm. how awful yeah so this is who's in charge of now hundreds of children What a heartless man. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say we're sitting here thinking that people who have severe mental and physical disabilities that physically cannot comprehend what it is like to raise a child, like physically and for their own safety can have a child. Like we've all heard of stories and we'll talk even about them in this case where women in these mental health and mental disability facilities get pregnant because they're raped and they don't understand what pregnancy is. They don't understand how to take care of a baby. Right. And they also are not always able to consent. Of course. Let alone understand what was done to them. Right. You know, be able to comprehend. Right. Pregnancy, raising it. Like, right. No, it's not. So it's not. And of course, we're not saying they should be sterilized. (laughs) Like, we're just. If they're able to have children and raise that child, and, you know, that's part of their fulfilling life. Sure. Fuck yeah. What are you rounding up all of these people and you want to sterilize it? Like, it's it's so incomprehensible to even think about. And this is literally history. Yeah. In Rhode Island, of all places, which I've always thought Rhode Island was this. Little, little besides, you know, the mob, which we love. Oh, don't even get us started. You guys know how we feel about the mob. We love you. Kisses. Sending our love. Thank you for all you do. Um, You're the best. Our merch is, of course, very truthful. I want everyone to know how much I adore you. Katie over here, she's crying with love. She just loves. <laughs> I'm trembling with not fear, but my passion for the mob god we love it love you the mob love oh man i actually i you know of course guys our merch i heart the mob i actually have that tattooed above my breasts so i i took it another step because i just wanted everyone to know so just to make that clear really quick that we do love the mob which is 
innocent of all charges alleged against them, but they have a very large presence um, protecting Rhode Island, per se. But so besides that uh, factor in Rhode Island, I've always pictured it as like this cute little tiny, of course, safe because of the mob, little state. And now you think of how much this guy was pushing eugenics and what was happening behind the walls of this school very ferociously named the school for the feeble-minded which was a huge dig at these people who are not feeble-minded but rather intellectually disabled which does not mean that they are feeble <laughs> at all like that's not their it's fault so crazy yeah it's nuts by the year 1923, the population had swelled to more than 365 residents, which was far more than the capacity that the school allowed, I think even expected, to be quite truthful. And they had a waiting list. At this point, it was more than 300 people because it had been more than 300 people in like eight years before. Like it right. was growing and growing and growing. And of course, as the population grew, the funds dwindled. And so not, this happens all the time. Hospitals, institutions are like mental health hospitals we see today, group homes, prisons, like everything. Shelters, animal shelters, like there's so many things. This is very typical. Yeah. And it always will be. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a prison or an institution in 1924, you know, whatever. So that meant that simple necessities were not being met and not being provided. So the there are so many ways that these people were referred to in all these articles. Students, residents, clients, prisoners. Inmates. Inmates. Patients. Patients. Like, you name it. So... If you we're going to refer to them probably as a whole bunch of different things because that's just every article was different, but we're talking about these people who were placed there. Yeah, and a lot of them were there for different reasons. So as the school grew and as they kind of really focused on, you know, we're keeping people away from society. We're keeping right. people who we think are less than right. and need to be segregated away from society. They started taking more than just kids with intellectual disabilities. They this, actually were referred to as a dumping ground because they started taking those who were mentally ill overflow from genuine psychiatric facilities. Which is very different. We're not saying mentally ill is very different from intellectual disabilities because obviously we're saying like people with severe autism or, you know, like cerebral palsy who maybe, you know, are nonverbal, things like that. And then versus schizophrenia, uh, borderline personality disorder, oppositional defiant, you know, whatever. Absolutely. Very different. Different kinds of care is needed. Yes. They took in elderly people whose families were not able to care for them anymore. They just kind of like dropped off Nana outside the lad school and hope for the best. I Yep. I can't. I scoff because it's just so ridiculous. Houseless people, probably out of desperation. Like, yeah. hey, if you can take me, I, I really love a bed and a hot meal. Mm. Orphans. Those who were criminals, yeah, they were using it as kind of like a halfway house, essentially. Unwed mothers, sex workers, illegitimate babies and their mothers who had them out of wedlock, 
it's so and immigrants people who just came there and were like hey you know i'm i'm here in the promised land i'm really looking for a better life oh you we don't like you because you have a different skin color than us you're going to the lad school and they're like oh what's the lad school that okay yeah sure you know a bed and somewhere to stay right. and then they get there and it's like we'll talk more about the conditions right but at this time most of the residents were women and children and a third of them were either orphans yeah. or wards of the state which is terrifying a dumping ground like people were just being dropped off at the doors and they were like sorry lad school deal with it yeah and they were like sure we, we think that these people need to be kept away from society we're gonna stack cots on top of each other to make room and you there can sleep on the floor in the corner right. because we are out of beds and right. it was chaos and they of course did not give a shit because this was playing into their eugenics ideal like why would they want unwed mothers to have more babies let's right. Let's sterilize the shit out of them because then they can't have more babies while they're unwed. You know, like, fuck that. And then they can raise those babies and sterilize them, too. Because since they were born to unwed mothers, sin. Bastard child. That's not, not okay. None of this makes any sense to us, at least a good person, now. Because that's, it's just so insane right and how is the environment in that school then any kind of therapeutic how is that okay i don't i don't think it was therapeutic i think the school was therapeutic for maybe the first year yeah after it opened with supposedly decent intentions because i believe as far as i understand joseph ladd wasn't in charge or working for it at the very beginning so the school really was for bettering and like housing these people and taking care of them and then he stepped in and that's when it got really shitty yeah so i mean like oh it just it snowballs so bad and yeah. like he's i feel like he's the reason that it just keeps going and all of a sudden you're taking in immigrants and criminals and you're like okay snip snip take those vast deferens cut them out we're gonna cast you know get rid of all these people so we don't have more criminals and we don't have more unwed mothers and you know whatever it's ridiculous. And as we were saying, funds were running dry. They were lacking so many things. Staff, A, appropriate staff, really. A lot of their medical staff, quote unquote, had little to no medical training, which is would not fly today. There are so many checkpoints you have to pass to get through to being even a CNA or a medical tech. There is nothing that stopped these people from hiring just 16, you know, like it just didn't matter who was hired. And they, like we said, they didn't have recreational facilities. They didn't have any entertainment or like stimulation for these children and their brains. They didn't have, for a while, they didn't have like a dentist office or like any real healthcare. For a while, they didn't have a morgue. And as morbid as that sounds, I mean, it's a big institution. There's hundreds of people living there you know, year round people die. So I think it's absolutely appropriate for them to have a morgue. So the fact that they didn't, that's disgusting. Yeah, we're talking like tuberculosis. Oh, it just sent. And these kids and these, you know, people are coming from crowded situations if they're just leaving a prison. Like right. it was just a a petri dish. Oh, 100 percent It was a petri dish mm -hmm. with tuberculosis, hepatitis. 
you get the flu. Oh, yeah. And there's 50 people dead in a ward. Like, you... 100%. When the 1918 Spanish flu hit? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, rumor has it that a child received a letter from their family, Mm. and the letter was contaminated because the family was really sick. Yeah. And they are probably, like, dipping the pen quill on their mouth and like yep so the letter was contaminated yeah and this kid is reading all about how his family is so ill and they're all hacking over each other and it's just it's crazy we hope that you don't get that being so safe away at the lad school little timmy like right and then the kid became patient zero and because these people not even just children but people are being kept in such close quarters and we'll talk more about that about how the dormitories were set up and you know there really was no way to prevent a huge spread of the it's the 1918 spanish flu right it was extremely it was a pandemic it was extremely deadly all across america i mean and europe of course it was insane it was absolutely insane so ugh. Shit went down. I mean, some of the kids or some of the patients even there had fevers for weeks on end. Mm -hmm. Everybody's so weak. And there's over 300 residents. Yeah. And some would recover and then others would fall ill. Mm -hmm. And there's really no staff. I mean, Dr. Ladd himself was working days on end, like no sleep. He was sick himself. This is the only moment I had even just the slightest, slightest bit of like core, like quarter of a quarter of respect for him because he's because of a quote he said he said in 1963 so quite some time later when he when this was all going on was that he was working so hard during the you know just during this period that he quote was taking care of inmates quote unquote during the day and then doing laundry all night and he was saying that he went three days without sleep he had a temperature of 102, and he was the only doctor there that whole time, which, again, very minimal, minimal respect. But the fact that he was taking care of these people when they were actually very sick, and he was also sick, is respectable, because that is, that's a shitty situation. Yeah. But that being said, you know, like <laughs> eugenics and stuff. Right. Like, you're a doctor. That's the least you can do is take care of your patients. If you really cared about them in the first place, yeah. you wouldn't have been the only doctor on staff. Correct. So I went to bite him in the ass. Right. By Thanksgiving, 16 of the school's residents have passed away. Five-year-old Israel, Fanny and Louise, both age six. Seven-year-old Rosa. Ten-year-old Joseph. Annie and Mary, who were both 12. 14-year-old Fanny. I guess Fanny was a pretty common name back then. Mm-hmm. James and Evelyn, both 16, 21-year-old Nellie, Annie and Margaret, both 22, 25-year-old Emily, and 28-year-old Alice. I don't have last names. Mm. I think either because they didn't keep really good record or because a lot of them were minors or wards of the state or had disabilities. They weren't really considered their own person. They were considered to be vulnerable like they would be a minor. Yeah. So I don't have last names, but obviously most of those are very young children. Right. And can I just say, can we bring back the name Fanny? Because, God, I love that. There was – it's such a cute name for a little girl. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's so cute. I just love that name so much. And nowadays, if you name somebody Fanny, forget it. They're getting made fun of for the rest of their life. (laughs) They're going to need therapy ASAP. I mean, listen, if I had a child, they would need therapy regardless. But especially if they were named Fanny. So – of course, 
the flu comes in, overpopulation, that's devastating as it is. Overpopulation in general takes away so much. We have the funds, we know, but also the lack of care that can be spread between these prisoners, essentially. Like, let's be real, they're prisoners. So everyone was fed. Okay, good. Everyone had a sleeping implement, essentially, and people were bathed occasionally when they could be. And that was it. Upon entry, the patients were given like a basic physical exam. They weren't even really like given psychological exams, which is very important considering the institution, how close they were together. And, you know, like the whole factor that it was like an intellectual disability institution. And then now they were including people with mental illness, which could be potentially dangerous given that there was no proper care. Yeah. And people with criminal records. Why were they in prison before they got out? Were they hurting children? Are they violent? Are they the way that they are because they have undiagnosed mental illness or the way that mentally ill people were treated is just thrown behind bars? It really is not safe. You have children who are not able to advocate for themselves because of their disability. A lot of them nonverbal. A lot of them, maybe only a couple words. Yes. If someone sat down and taught them sign language, they could probably pick that up, but that's not really going to help when there's two staff members to like 237 kids who who was any idea. Yes. Yeah. So these kids are not able to speak up and say, Hey, I'm not comfortable with the kid I'm sharing a bunk bed with because he hurts me. Like, right. Right. Very, very violent. And because there's no staff members, a lot of these patients were taking advantage of that because they could do whatever they wanted to say. It was a free-for-all. Of course. And as a lot of people know, now that intellectual disabilities are more talked about and we have a deeper understanding, people who are struggling with severe autism, routine is so important. And a lot of times when you have someone who struggles with that, routine can really give them a solid life. So when you are in an institution where... Every day, a wrench is thrown into it with new residents. Uh, You don't know if you're going to get a bath that day or, you know, if your meal is going to be, you know, even the same. Like, that will cause somebody who doesn't know, like, they don't know how to cope with that to, they could potentially be violent because they don't know. Right. Or even just have a meltdown where they're yelling and maybe, like, thrashing their arms around. It's not violent, essentially. Right. And overstimulated. Yes. Very common. God, absolutely. And so a lot of the staff would respond with discipline Mm -hmm. as opposed to being therapeutic, like, let's take you to your own room, let's sit down, let's play with coloring blocks. Exactly. So a lot of these kids are being beaten. Yes. Which makes it worse. Right. Whether it's poor discipline, like spanking and whatever, or staff are getting really pissed off and they're frustrated, they're short-staffed, they're not qualified to be there working with any kind of that population. So they're beating up the kids. These kids are being assaulted not only by their fellow peers and their fellow inmates, essentially, but by staff. Fun fact that is not fun at all. Most women sentenced there at the lab school were to be kept there until they either died or reached menopause. Mm. To prevent them from having children because Rhode Island didn't have any legislation around sterilization. Mm. But there were a few cases where some women actually were sterilized by surgeons who found loopholes in the law. That's terrible. Yeah. How morbid and macabre. I hate that. 
And some of these women, I'm sure, weren't the intellectually disabled, but rather unwed mothers. Sex workers. Sex workers. Yep. Criminals. That's ridiculous. Immigrants, even. Right? Yep. So dumb. And by 1950, so just over like 40 years-ish after the school opened, there was over 900 patients, inmates, whatever you want to call them, in this school, school, quote unquote, 900. That is way over the capacity. And they're building new dorms and stuff quickly and haphazardly because they just got to get it done. They just have to. There's no way. And it's all garbage. And of course, they can't keep up with staff. They can't keep up with funds. They can't keep up with resources. So it's all just going to shit. And we'll talk about very shortly the medical neglect that's going on and these horror stories of people who died because of this, because of these facts. It's terrifying. And then the school actually kind of changed gears again. And, you know, they're adopting more of a penal system and they're becoming more institutionalized and they're now disciplining kids and they're really focused on rigorous, you know, you have to behave and you have to be disciplined, beating up children who are not able to sit still and maybe comprehend that they're not allowed to yell out or talk or make noise or move their arms or anything. Like they just have to sit still and they can't. No. That's a very unrealistic ask of a lot of these kids. Right. And even just residents in general, it's very unrealistic. Of course. The school started taking in more patients with more acute needs, a lot of them even younger and having more disabilities. Mm -hmm. So the obvious shortage of staff became a lot more obvious (laughs) and a lot more serious Mm -hmm. because now they're taking kids who are needing extra support. They're being left to sit in their own feces because they can't get up and go to the bathroom by themselves. They might not know what's happening with their body. They're not able to say, hey, I just had an accident. Could you please help me in the shower? Not an option. Right. You're taking kids that might not be able to feed themselves. They might not be able to put food on a fork and bring it up to their mouth by themselves. Right. And so now they're sitting there watching all these other kids around them eat their food, which is slop, but it's still food food they're being fed. Yeah. And there's maybe one staff in the whole crowded dining room and they can't realistically care for these patients that they just keep having admitted. Right. So it really is not fair for anybody. And of course, not to mention that these kids were absolutely living in squalor. Like it was completely disgusting. So let alone they're eating in the this dining room that was packed and it's messy because there's so many people and there's not enough staff. And then the rooms that they're sleeping in are deplorable. Like, oh, reading the details of the living situation was horrifying. Absolutely disgusting. Made me feel for them so bad. The way that their dorms were had these patients sleeping side by side, head to feet, cots, crammed, crammed into rooms. Mm -hmm. A lot of patients didn't get cots because there weren't enough. It was so overcrowded. They were sleeping in the corner, on the floor, Mm -hmm. any really spare space. Most of the rooms didn't get toilets, didn't have sinks even. So it got very unhygienic very quickly, especially for the poor people that are there that aren't able to clean themselves. They need help with that. The kitchen, the dining area, and patients' rooms were infested with rats, roaches, bedbugs, disease. Kids are having accidents and no one's cleaning it up. Like sitting in their own 
feces and urine, Mm -hmm. getting skin sores, and they're just laying there, not able to say, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm in pain. I need help. The smell, unwashed, hundreds of unwashed bodies being crammed into already really filthy conditions with rats. Right. You think of it, it's urine, feces, body odor, menstrual blood. You have vomit, probably. Rats. You have everything. And it's hot in the summer. There's definitely not, like, air conditioning for many reasons, probably, like, technology back then. But, like, you know, like, it's truly this terrible – even just thinking about that makes me so upset because nobody deserves that. That's just terrible, and especially not these people who are there for literally – no reason. Right. And they were just thrown there. Yeah. And sometimes even their parents were like, fuck this, I'm done. I'm dropping my kid off yeah. at the lab school. Yeah. I can't do this anymore yeah. or I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. They were dropped off there maybe knowing that the conditions were less than, mm-hmm. but they were just so done with these kids. Like a yeah. lot of those kids were just dropped off there and their parents were like, I'm not picking you up. Yeah. Like, I don't care when your discharge date is supposed to be. You're not coming home. I'm done. Right. So a lot of these kids just show up there one day and they have no idea what's going on, what's happening, or why they're there. Mm -hmm. And they're in really shitty conditions. And you know what sucks, too, is that we talked about how criminals were being sent here as well, which for many reasons is stupid as fuck. I mean, obvious, obvious reasons. But they were often sent there to serve their time until they were, quote, no longer a burden to themselves or society. And they were sent there for crimes that were, you know, considered a lot less violent, like not murder. But they were sent there for crimes such as waywardness, which what the fuck does that mean? Theft, assault, animal cruelty, and child abuse. So you have these criminals who are not, you know, they're not violent or whatever, but they're abusing children. So they're like, you know what? Just head on over. Like, well, until you're rehabilitated. How is somebody going to be rehabilitated at this institution where everyone's sitting in their own shit and these intellectually disabled children can't feed themselves or wash themselves and it's perfect territory for like a pedophile or, you know, whatever? It's insane to me. Absolutely. Patients were receiving medications here. Because it's supposed to be some kind of a medical facility, right? Right. The staff, imagine you, you know, we're nurses. Yeah. Imagine doing a med pass for 900 people. I sometimes struggle. My unit is very small and, you know, a lot of my patients are healthy. They just have babies, which is, you know, a very normal thing. I give Tylenol Motrin all the time. Like, that's the most common. It's so, it's Tylenol fucking Motrin. Who gives a shit? Even that, like three patients or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, when did I give Sally motion? Oh shit. It's like, it's so much. Mm-hmm. So to get 900, holy shit. And for these people, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what lithium is. Absolutely. Let alone crushing medications, figuring out doses, identifying pills, knowing side effects. Right. And there's so many patients you know how are you able to go up to someone who might not be able to tell you their name and date of birth oh right so patients were getting the wrong medications pretty frequently yes like really 
scary. And these are hefty. I mean, this is what the 1920s, 1930s, they were dishing out these pills like you wouldn't believe. High doses, yeah, snowing these patients. And it only continued into the 40s, 50s, 60s when antipsychotics started to really come around. But nobody knew what the side effects were going to be. And so these kids and these, I mean, even like unwed mothers and immigrants were being pumped with this Haldol and, you know, just Prozac, everything, just a lot of people overdosed and died unintentionally because these med techs or whatever didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Children were dying because they were given the wrong medication. And the real number, there is no real number because it's very heavily underreported. Mm-hmm. And it was written off as, oh, little Timmy fell and hit his head and died. Or, you know, this kid had respiratory failure at the age of like 10. Yeah. It's like, what? Was he smoking a pack a day? <laughs> like, how is that possible? Yeah. So a lot of, and we don't know the real number, but a lot of kids died because of drug reactions, drug interactions, overdoses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And now there's no morgue. Right. There was a cemetery on school grounds where they were just throwing kids' bodies. And a lot of them, because they were wards of the state or orphans yeah. or immigrants or, you know, their parents didn't want to claim them they went unclaimed and they were buried at the school and the graveyard still stands yeah that's terrible so katie let's get into some of the examples because we both found articles on some really specific cases i think there's five of people who died due to medical neglect um that happened over the course of several years just for examples um and they are truly terrifying. And especially as nurses, we kind of get like even more, we're like, that was so easily treatable. And even just for the layperson, it's like, are you serious? Like, it's mind boggling. Medical examiner Dr. William Q. Sterner started investigating these untimely deaths and determined that at least five of them were due to neglect. 25-year-old Gerald Picard was determined to have contracted a blood infection after he was examined for pain in his legs and buttocks. He had gotten severe burns that were described as being like he had been forced to sit on a grill. A doctor filling in over the weekend started him on an intensive but very effective treatment as it was determined that he had a raging staph infection. Yeah. During the exam, his temperature spiked up to 105 degrees. Dangerous. Very dangerous. The treatment, which was two IVs for antibiotics and fluids, a catheter, and a nasogastric tube, was all working. Gerald was really improving. And then the regular staff came in on Monday, and they took one look at the situation. They were like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I examined him, and he has a staph infection, and this is really dangerous, and he was going to die. He was probably going into septic shock. Right. So I did what any doctor would do and started the regular course of treatment like I learned in med school, and it's really effective, and he's like a brand new boy, and it's really working. And the medical staff took one look at this, and they told this weekend doctor that they would not do extraordinary measures on, quote, the lives of the R-words. Which Katie and I respectfully refuse to say the r word because it is so demeaning has such a terrible connotation to it that is so negative and we will die on this hill together holding hands it is terrible but that quote nearly killed me because that is so and that really fucking happened like exact words they thought that basic care for someone with a raging staph infection was treatable, very treatable, was an extraordinary measure on someone who had a developmental disability. Mm -hmm. Gerald died on June 17th, 1971, and his cause of death was listed as 
respiratory distress and congestive heart failure, which is a load of bullshit in a child, unless the respiratory distress was related to septic shock from his untreated staph infection that they took him off treatment for. Mm -hmm. So next we have 28-year-old Robert Dill. In June of 1972, there was two separate employees at the school who put in special requests that were like, hey, can Robert be taken to the infirmary, the clinic, whatever, um, because he's not looking good. He's a very active man. He's always moving. He's always, you know, it's not clear really what was his reason of being at the school, but he was normally a very chatty, you know, he was always, he had a certain personality and he was vastly different. They were like, please get him to the Fogarty clinic, which is where they had the infirmary and everything. And these staff members were like, he's basically semi comatose. Like he's acting very bizarre. It took them five days to take him to this infirmary, five days of him acting completely abnormally unlike himself especially to say when someone's like semi-comatose that is a huge a, a huge red flag like hello this of course five days of pleading by some of the staff members which you got to give them credit they i feel like the staff members who weren't joseph lad were typically it wasn't always their fault that it was bad conditions. I feel like they often had good intentions. They were doing the best with what they got. Yeah. Yeah. So they were pleading and pleading. And they finally, after the five days, got him to the clinic. And this was after they were told by upper management that Robert would be taken care of. Everything will be fine. Calm down. Like, he's good. On the sixth day of symptoms, so roughly a day after he was brought to the clinic, Robert died. An autopsy was performed, and it was learned that the cause of his sudden semi-comatose state was due to a fall in the ward, and he had fractured his skull. So he had been sitting there for five days with a fractured skull. He had been hemorrhaging internally in his head the entire time. By the time they brought him to the infirmary, it was far beyond too late. Far, far, far beyond. He died on June 30th, 1972. Mm. A teenage boy named Douglas Dodd was left with a visibly swollen and distended abdomen for, wait for it, 18 months. 18 months. Before he was finally treated. Four hours before he died. Four hours. That blew my little mind. I could not even fathom that. This was really sad yes his death was ruled as being related to fecal impaction which is not uncommon at all in kids who have had a lot of trauma especially sexual abuse mm -hmm. or kids with developmental disabilities i saw a lot of you know constipation mm -hmm. and it didn't get that bad no but when i worked in pediatric psych there were a lot of kids that would hold their poop and they wouldn't want to go yeah um, especially with like sexual trauma sexual abuse rape yeah or developmental disabilities there's it's a lot. It's a lot going on. It can be very overstimulating. Sure. It's uncomfortable to have a bowel movement. Yeah. You know, a lot of kids with some mental stuff going on will hold in their feces. Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot, I'm sure a lot of people are like, how can you not poop for 18 months? I'm sure he probably had some, there's a kind of constipation where some like bowel movements leak around some fecal impaction. I'm imagining he was having very small 
like loose stools occasionally, but it seemed like over the 18 months, his abdomen just continued to get distended. And he was described as looking, quote, freaky. And they did nothing. Nothing. Yeah. He died on June 17th, 1975, after receiving two enemas and was having extreme pain as a result. He was finally sent to the hospital because they were thinking, okay, this is way out of our league. He used to go to the hospital. He passed away from a perforated bowel as he had had an infection from all of the stool stuck up there for such a long time. Yeah. And it honestly is so despicable to think one how they were just making fun of him and saying oh he's freaky Mm -hmm. and one staff member even was like oh the entire time that i knew him his stomach was always like that it was freaky it was distended i just thought that was how he was he had a raging infection going on because your body that's the whole purpose of having a bowel movement you have to get that shit out of you literally Literally. and metaphorically you're not supposed to have that in you it's leaving your body for a reason yeah so his, oh my God, it's just so sad to think about. And a bowel perforation is incredibly painful. Very. And two enemas, you're not supposed to do that. No, not with a fecal impaction like that. No, like even one is excessive, but two, two? you're not supposed to do two at all. In even in quick you, succession. Ab- exactly. That's just us being nurses, I think, mostly. But like, that's insane. Right. Just, it really makes me so sad to think about. Mm. So- Next, we have a longtime resident of the lad school, 60-year-old Henry Oaken, who had been dealing with, quote, a horse throat for nearly three years. Three years! Like, what? So in the fall of 1976, his throat pain got so much worse all of a sudden. For months prior, he'd been claiming about it getting worse. It was like a steady increase and he was having more difficulty swallowing it was getting really strange he often would point to his throat and just go hurts hurts which is (laughs) that's so sad suddenly in late september to early october of 1976 a small lump started to grow on the left side of his neck and after like two and a half weeks of this lump growing it was the size of an apple size of an apple that's a very fast growth Mm -hmm. so naturally they brought him to the clinic after two and a half weeks of this lump growing they were like give it time maybe it'll go away like what did they expect and if they if it did go away that would mean it would have ruptured and would that mean it was good to go like what did they think so According to anyone who asked, the supervisors assured that everything was fine again, like just like we heard before, in that Henry's ailment was due to the fact that he, quote, smoked a lot. And they obviously were like, everything is under control. We got it. Calm down. On October 12th, Henry was sent to Rhode Island Hospital, where it was discovered that the apple-sized lump was actually a tumor in his larynx. And this tumor, the reason why it had grown so large was because it had abscessed and then it had ruptured. And then this perforated his trachea. He died on October 16th. Henry's autopsy, with a cause of death listed as cardiac arrest due to a neck mass, revealed that there had been a cancerous tumor described as being a, quote, big, green, foul-smelling mass. Henry had not been treated even a little, so much as a cough drop for his horse throat for three years. Which is insane because he really did, he was having complaints the whole time. Hurts, hurts, he was saying, and they did nothing. 
Another patient in his 50s was found to have a dangerously low hemoglobin level in his blood, which indicated that not only was he anemic as fuck, he was bleeding internally. (laughs) Yes. Doctors decided that he had had a good life, Mm. and they put him back to bed, thinking that maybe he'll just go to sleep. Mm. And he'll be so fatigued from this severe anemia that he'll just go to sleep and that'll be it. It took him four weeks. Weeks. Yeah. To bleed out and die. Yeah. Slowly. Yeah. And nowadays, well, and back then too, a severe low hemoglobin like that, which hemoglobin is what carries the oxygen in your blood, blood transfusion, some iron, a lot of love, and uh, he would have been getting a lot better. They could have sent him out to the hospital and he could have gotten all of that and then come back. Yeah, if they really wanted to be like that, you know? And 50 is not that old. Oh, he's lived a good life. Not if he's been there. Right. They're probably thinking, oh, this guy has an intellectual disability. This is a good life for him. It's terrible. Oh, my God. And there's other cases, too, where, you know, one female patient became pregnant twice. Terrible. And no one has any idea if it was at the hands of a staff member or another resident. Right. An elderly man died because another patient shoved him down the stairs. Yeah. They found the body of a nine-year-old in a laundry bag. He had suffocated to death. Yeah. And then the woman who began digging into her family history, Julianne, Mm. her great-aunt Alice Tillotson was moved to the lad school in 1913. Oh, wow. Right when they started accepting girls. She was 26. She was formerly diagnosed as an imbecile. Oh. That was her medical diagnosis. Oh. And I guess the the medical term was someone with the mental age of between three to seven years that was capable of communicating and performing simple tasks with supervision. So does that mean a toddler is an imbecile? Like baseline? Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. And they said, like the classification back then, this is like a medical Mm. diagnosis that an imbecile was more functional than an idiot, Mm. but less functional than a moron. Mm Mm-hmm. Real terms that you're using to talk about a person. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Alice passed away in 1933 of pneumonia, and Mm. because no next of kin could be found or maybe wanted to be found, she was buried on the school grounds. And just like all of the other residents, she had to endure some really horrific shit. Yeah. Five-year-old Gary Heyman was placed in school because he wasn't talking and his family believed that he needed to be there. He most likely had autism. That would be my guess. Just Just, verbal. Just from the start. Mm -hmm. He lived at the school for four years before he ran away on September 23rd, 1952. He was in class with other boys, and the teacher went to help another boy in the bathroom, and he ran out the door. Mm -hmm. And this was actually the largest manhunt in Rhode Island state history. I did not know that fact. Bloodhounds picked up on Gary's scent, but lost it a mile later, and police had no leads. I mean, Gary had run away from the school before. I don't blame him. But they'd always find him pretty quickly. This time, completely different. By day six, 250 volunteers were searching on the ground in the woods along the school. All they found was a pile of clothes that was folded neatly Hmm. and found next to a stream that were confirmed to be Gary's. Wow. They called off the search after 12 days total, and his disappearance went cold for over a year. Mm. His mom was getting desperate. She was thinking, you know, no one has any idea where my son was. I love him very much. We just couldn't care for him at home. I can't believe that this happened at the school. And she learned of this psychic in Richmond, Virginia, 
who had actually given reliable reports about other cases. And just after Gary disappeared, this psychic had solved the case of a missing child in Massachusetts. Very interesting. She requested that the psychic be consulted about her son's disappearance, mm-hmm. but the catch that the psychic was a horse. Yeah, so um, what the fuck? <laughs> when you said that, I hadn't found this information, which is part of the good reasons why we do our separate research. So when you said that, I was literally like, yeah, Katie, maybe you need to like take, you know, like, are you all right? Because <laughs> um, horses can't talk, let alone have psychic visions. But then you explained, I was like, oh. It's so interesting. And I actually had learned about this horse like way, way back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, no way. Lady Wonder. Great name. And you guys might have heard about Lady Wonder because she was this famous, world-renowned mm-hmm. horse psychic. Yeah. And she would use her nose to hit these modified buttons on a typewriter and spell out answers to questions. And she was pretty spot on. Like, in 1931, she predicted that Franklin Roosevelt would be the next president before he was even nominated. Oh. She also correctly predicted the winner of the World Series 14 out of 17 years. Wow, that's pretty awesome. I, as a baseball person, love that. Isn't that crazy? Wow. She could do basic arithmetic, and someone even, like, a famous example of this is they held up a coin. Like, they pulled a coin out of their back pocket, yeah. did not let her see, and they're like, what year is this on the coin? And she typed out the correct year. I think it was 1914. Wow. Hundreds of people came to see her every week, and her owner was charging her, I think it was, like, a dollar for three questions. So she made bank, especially back then. Good for her. And horses live a long time, so you know that horse. Wow. Lady was asked, is Gary Heyman alive? Mm -hmm. And then she used her nose and typed out with the rubber discs, H-U-R-T. Hurt. She then was asked, where can little boy be found? And she typed out T-R-U-C-K in a truck. Oh. And then they said, okay, where is this truck located? And she spelled out Kansas. (laughs) And then they said, can Gary Heyman be found? And she said, yes. Interesting. In December of 1953, a 19-year-old boy was out in the deep woods hunting when he came across a human skull. Mm. He hung it on a tree before running to get police, who brought it back to town. They compared it with x-rays that the family had and determined it to be Gary's. Mm. To this day, the rest of his skeleton and remains were never found. Could they be in a truck in Kansas? Because they did not find him in a truck in Kansas. That was not. Right. That was still in Rhode Island, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. A lot of people believe that another boy at the school murdered Gary and disposed of his body in the woods where volunteers wouldn't think to search again. Mm-hmm. But others think he ran away and was injured in the woods before succumbing to the elements because, again, it was fall in New England. That doesn't explain the folded clothes, though. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The folded clothes. Where did the rest of his skeleton go? Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Another boy went missing in 1955 in Indiana, and Lady Wonder came out of retirement and accurately predicted every detail about how the boy would be found. God, I love her. This horse is definitely worth reading more about, you guys. Lady Wonder, she's so cool. And there's a lot of conspiracies. Yeah. And the owner was telepathic and communicating through the horse. And this horse was picking up on cues that the owner was moving the whip with and this horse was just a genius and but wasn't really a psychic and but i mean she still spelled kansas right that's cool <laughs> so cool yeah definitely read more about lady wonder you guys cool. but yeah interesting little story so so obviously this disgusting deplorable place 
was as the years went on, people were like, mm, I don't like that so much. Mm, this is not great. Um, why is my child covered in feces? I wanted to visit Lorraine and she's stuck in bed and she had her period and she's covered in blood and she's a UTI and clearly she hasn't eaten and, you know, like terrible stuff. And people started to really care. And so in 1983, there was actually a class action lawsuit against the state of Rhode Island and the administrators of the lad school. This ultimately ended with the termination of the employment of Dr. Smith, who had taken over for Dr. Ladd, who had retired as soon as things started to get kind of dicey. Like when the overpopulation really spiked, when the funds really dropped, he was like, well, my time here is done. Goodbye. And so, you know, this class action lawsuit really hastened the crumbling of the school. In his place, a man named Dr. George Gunther took over, and he had good intentions. I feel like Dr. Gunther was a good man because he had a daughter who was actually a patient at the lad school, and he wanted his daughter to be taken care of. So he was really gung-ho for restructuring everything inside that institution, which was a good idea, but a lot harder than just being like, okay, get a broom, get a dustpan, hire some more people, let's do this. No, it's not that simple. Although he did start by doing something very smart, which was removing a whole bunch of patients and putting them in a lot better facilities, which were now popping up because it was the 80s and deinstitutionalization was coming around and these insane asylum, quote unquote, were not regular anymore. So he was, he really was starting to kind of get into it and really get on with you know, moving in the right direction, especially for the sake of his daughter, which is really sweet and I think is a, a great thing. And then, of course, because of this, the rundown buildings now were empty. They were able to take some of them down. So then they, the campus was getting smaller and smaller, which was good because they couldn't maintain all these buildings. They couldn't staff them. So overpopulation suddenly became less and less, which was good, which meant there was more funds to fit with what they had. But there still was a lot of people and not a lot of money. And also it was still disgusting. And we can't really forget like the eugenics part. <laughs> exactly. You know. The school finally closed to new patients in 1986, largely due to the deinstitutionalization movement of the 80s. A lot more focus was around private care centers and community care mm -hmm. so that like visiting staff could go into patients' homes mm -hmm. and give them the extra support that they needed so they could stay in their homes, yeah. still get really good care, give their parents a break, yeah. respite stays for the kiddos where they could go to somewhere private, get yeah. really good top-notch care, give the parents a break, yeah. then they could come home and have in-house support right. as opposed to shipping these kids off to a insane asylum. Mm -hmm. The last residents of the school were sent to other care facilities in 1993, and the governor of Rhode Island officially shut down the lad school. Good on him. The building itself stayed abandoned for a very long time, and it quickly became popular with urban explorers, people who were just interested in exploring abandoned places, just like yours truly over here. Sure. And... Paranormal investigators, because with all of this trauma and tragedy and death and the horrific abuse that these people endured before they died there and yeah. their deaths often went unreported or they were just kind of buried in unmarked 
pauper's graves, essentially, on the school grounds, yeah. the place is going to be haunted as fuck. That's, yeah, that pretty much sums it up, yeah. And, of course, let's be real, a lot of it is standard haunting stuff. So the buildings that did remain, and for quite some time, you had a lot of reports of children's voices, moaning, feet shuffling. There was even one report I saw, I don't know if you saw, Katie, where it sounded like the brisk click-clack of heels of, like, an administrator, you know, walking down the hall, you know, trying to clean up abuse allegations. Wow. You know, and I was like, that's very interesting. You know, like, that's probably not true, but, like, you know, interesting. And, of course, a lot of people say that the Fogarty Clinic was actually one of the buildings that remained standing up until the whole destruction of the property. And a lot of people would go in there, and that's where they'd hear a majority of the sounds or see weird things because a lot of people died there because of their medical neglect. Doors would open and close on their own, lock at random. Like, a door would be wide open. Mm -hmm. People would walk through. It would slam shut and then lock or almost like it was being held shut. Mm -hmm. People have reported hearing growling sounds coming from empty rooms mm -hmm. and claim that they were touched or shoved by someone who wasn't there. Oof. A lot of people have said that items they were carrying, like maybe a camera or like sonar equipment or microphones or like the heat gauges yeah. that paranormal investigators like to use, mm -hmm. ripped out of their hands, thrown across the room. Interesting. People standing outside the building facing the building and looking at it have said they've seen shapes of people walking around inside. Mm. Lots of people have captured glowing orbs of light on their cameras, which I think is very interesting Yeah, because a lot of people feel as though the glowing orbs of light are really positive and a lot of times mm. associated with children. Yeah. I've seen a few at the psych hospital. Yeah. Glowing I remember orbs. you telling me those stories. Yeah. There are also reports of car radios turning to static or not working at all. Ooh. Car alarms and horns going off on their own mm. as soon as someone pulls onto the school grounds. Mm. So many people endured horrific conditions, torture, who knows what, at the hands of staff, yeah. other patients, yeah. Dr. Ladd himself. Yeah. There's so many deaths that we don't know about, so many that went underreported or unreported, especially for children who were orphans, yeah. whose family wasn't really around to ask questions, they couldn't speak or advocate for themselves. Right. And the whole thing is just, it's really, really devastating. And I think that if any place were to be haunted, it would be the lad school. I am completely in agreement with you right there. And in 2014, it was officially condemned and it was all destroyed and there is nothing there now except for the spirits of people who were wronged. Dun-dun. And the graveyard. And the graveyard, which is almost worse. Fun fact, they're thinking about using that property to build a youth detention facility for girls in Rhode Island. So it might end up not repeating itself in that way, but I think it's interesting that they want to use the property for something so, with a similar concept. Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Guys, that was easily our longest episode, and you know what? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it, too. There was a lot to talk about. And it was very interesting, and a very heavy hitter, for sure. And as always, we want to know what you think, and we want to hear your stories as well. If you're comfortable with sharing a story that you have about maybe, like, that woman, Julianne, that you found her blog, 
if you have a story of like a long lost relative or someone in your family tree that was institutionalized that you want to talk about, or perhaps you know of someone or like a story like that, let us know. Because as nurses who both have a psych interest, or perhaps because we're both mentally ill, um, we definitely are very interested in that kind of thing. So if you want to tell us, please let us know. Or if you have stories about that kind of thing in New England that you think would be a good episode, or perhaps for next Halloween, definitely let us know. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at TrueCrimeNE. All lowercase. Or you can send us an email at TrueCrimeNE at gmail.com. We also, of course, have a website, TrueCrimeNE.com. You can go to our contact page and use our handy-dandy submission tool to send us your thoughts on this case, other cases we've done. Check out our other Halloween episodes from this past month and years past as well. This is a great way to send us those stories if you guys have loved ones like Liz was saying. It's also a great way to be anonymous. So if you are feeling like you want to get a story off your chest, share it with us. You don't feel comfortable leaving your name or you don't want it to go outside of our little handy-dandy submission tool, be anonymous. That's always an option. You could scroll down a little further to buy us a coffee. Well, myself a coffee and Liz a non-coffee related beverageino. Mm. That's a great way to buy yourselves, wink, wink, a little shout out at the top of the episode. You could also, while you're on our website, just browsing, check out our store where we have the I Heart the Mob merch, as well as other designs that we really love on our page. Mm -hmm. No pressure to buy anything, no pressure to spend money, just you guys being here and listening, especially for episodes like this where it's a little uncomfortable but really important to talk about we appreciate you guys so much 100 and with that we'll see you next week bye goodbye